I really don't know what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. I had several things. The, the topic in the uh, paper was walking on water. So <laughs> I want you to know what I was doing while I was in the Bahamas. You see, I, <laughs> we ministers have to practice. Uh, I thought I might talk a little bit about that trip because I know you want to hear about what I did in the tropics during Santa Fe's worst winter. <laughs> so we'll get into that a little bit. We went out diving one day and I saw this magnificent conch. Um, and uh, the Bahamian that was with us uh, it was quite deep and uh, went down and got it for me. And it was an unusual shell because the, the lip of the conch was quite large and it had an unusual color to it. But the conch was still in it. And uh, he surfaced, surfaced and said uh, it was quite an unusual shell. And I said, well, just put it back. Just put it back. And he misunderstood what I said and started swimming toward the boat. He evidently thought I meant put it in the boat. And I didn't stop him. Now looking back, I can see the reason I didn't stop him was that I was suddenly conflicted because he had just, he had just said that this was an unusual shell. And here's a man who'd seen conks ever since he was started diving as a very young boy. So now I had two purposes. One was to leave everything undisturbed, which is what walking on water means, to leave the world undisturbed as we walk peacefully through it, and to have this unusual conch shell, which I could tell my friends that I myself had, had discovered, you know, <laughs> leaving out who actually got it. Uh, that's where pain begins, with a conflicted purpose. So I was just silent, and he put the conch in the boat, and later on we went back, and everybody thought it was a, a great shell, and so we put it out on the little uh, patio kind of thing there, and periodically John would go out and touch the little creature who would come out to find out where the ocean went, you know. <laughs> uh, and he would touch it. These conks have a little hook, evidently, that hooks into the sand so they can stay on the bottom of the sand. And he would touch the little hook, and then it would shoot back in. He would come in excitedly and tell us about this. Well, uh, people began to be disturbed um, that this was still alive. And so a discussion began as to what to do about this. And at one point it said, well, let's at least give him a drink. And so uh, I put him into the water and the, and, and the waves, though, would turn him over, him. You see what a sexist I am. <laughs> um, and so this made one of the people in the cabin very unhappy. They, they said, oh, it's, this is hurting him. He's being turned over and over. So we took him out. And by this time, the situation had become very confusing because positions were now being taken. 
there was a uh, there was a man in the cabin who thought that we ought to go ahead, and uh, he said, "I'll take care of the conch," which meant he was going to take it up and have it. Uh, well, I won't tell you what, <laughs> but he was going to take care of it. Do you see? He said, "Just hide it, and then no one will think about it." So there was that position. Then there was a position that uh, it should be put back, and then there was a position that he should be taken out uh, where we were and put in the shallower waters. Then there was the question of could the, is, would the conch live at this point? How long had it been out and would it live? Now, at one time I told you about Hum and Dinger. How many people remember Hum and Dinger? Okay. There were, there were two dogs that Gail and I picked up on the highway. Very similar situation. We looked at the dogs and thought that they needed rescuing. Now, it later turned out that they were not very far from home. Uh, but we didn't know, we didn't know this at the time, and I there was there was a little soap opera that went on here uh, for several Sundays, as, which I talked to you about how dogs were teachers of God, and that here's your opportunity to have one of them in your house. <laughs> Not one of you took me up on that. As with the conch, as with the dogs. And as with a hundred other things that we do, we disturb the world. And we disturb the world because we think we want something from it or that it needs something from us, that we know best what it needs. We put ourselves in a position of judgment and then we disturb the world and almost always there is this ramification. This is a very difficult lesson to learn. It's a lesson that has come to us through the teachings of the East. And it is generally not understood to the Western mind because people now think this calls for some sort of severe behavior, that they shouldn't help someone who was uh, stuck in a car or something or uh that they shouldn't get someone who's sick in their house medicine. It's just all kinds of things. The Western mind tries to translate this into behavior. And of course, it has nothing to do with behavior. It has to do with an approach, a general attitude of gentleness and comfort. So you simply realize that everyone is on their own path that they are proceeding at their own right, uh, at their own rate, that they will get there in their own time, that there isn't a great deal more they can do at the moment. This is very important to understand. It is not true of anyone who's hearing these words because the person listening to these words wishes to do more. And so I will suggest what can be done and if the individual hearing that finds it helpful, they will do more. So anyone who wishes to do more can do more. But A Course in Miracles says that even the Holy Spirit cannot teach you something you are not willing to learn. It doesn't say it will not, it says it cannot. And Holy Spirit as used in A Course in Miracles, is another word for 
God's answer or the spirit of God or the attitude of God or the willingness of God or the, if you don't like religious terms, the universal conspiracy, the way that um, the universe is organized to pat your ba backside and hold a, a little carrot out in front of you and lead you gently on your way. How all things conspire, all people, all events conspire to take you gently forward. And we've seen this so many times. We've looked back and seen how even our mistakes, such as the mistake I met, I made by disturbing the calm. Oh, incidentally, I, the next day I took it back out. Got the boat, took it back out, put it back in the sand. I don't know whether it lived or not, but that was... You see, it's the question that disturbs us and not the answer. Always it's the question that is disturbing us. Because within God, within truth, within love, within what's going on, there is no question. True religion has no question. It has no issue. And the first time that I fell off the spiritual path, which was about, I guess I was about 20, it was because I had gotten caught up in a theological issue. I don't think I've told you that story, have I? No. Um, I told you I didn't know what I was going to talk about this morning. I badgered my parents to send me off to the Principia, which is a uh, series of schools in Missouri and uh, Illinois, starting at uh, very low grades. I'm not sure where it starts at now, but going up through college. It was a school for the sons and daughters of Christian scientists. And when I transferred from the high school, called the upper school, to the college, I began to think I knew something. You know how that happens. You remember? Do you remember that? <laughs> you suddenly, you know, it's at some point in high school, you realize that your parents do not know what the word factor means. And uh, so this, you now feel quite superior. And, uh, well, I began, well, now, just a minute, if my parents don't know what the word factor means, then possibly they don't know uh, how to interpret Mary Baker Eddy correctly. Um, so I began looking at this theological question, the, the position that the Christian Science Church was taking, and what I thought. Mrs. Eddy was saying. The result was I fell off the spiritual path. It's a long involved uh, story and so forth. Uh, I was actually kicked out of uh, the college <laughs> for, for visiting a Christian science teacher who was also being excommunicated because he had the same view. I found out that it was his teacher and I went to New York and visited him and we both clucked over how right we were and how wrong the whole Christian science movement was and got back and they said, yes, that's true. Bang, out the door. <laughs> true religion has nothing to do with theological questions. It has nothing to do with positions. It hasn't even anything to do with God. 
we talk about the word God, it's so obvious that there are so many people who are on a truly spiritual path and have no truck with the word God. But they begin to sense the possibility of harmony between them and other people. They begin to sense a deep connection that runs through the heart of all living things. They begin to sense that there's something more than this very short little trip we take from birth to death that's quite lovely. And they begin pursuing peace and harmony between themselves and other people. That is a spiritual path. And as someone takes up a spiritual path, which A Course in Miracles says begins with one decision, one deep recognition that may last only for a few seconds, but it's enough to get you started on a spiritual path. At least for one instant, you see that someone else's interests are your own. That never do you have to defend yourself or get what you want over the bones of someone else or over the feelings of someone else. For just a moment, you realize that everything you want in your heart, this other person wants also, no matter what words they use, where they go on Sunday or what. And that's the beginning of a truly spiritual path. On the island of Eleuthera, about 10 miles from Wemyss Bight, surrounded by the old stone slave houses, Carl Stone gathered by black slaves brought from Africa because the Indians that were there had already been taken off and made slaves in Spain and possibly Africa also. Typical uh, human uh, answer. You take the people that are there off, make them slaves, ship them someplace else, and bring the people from someplace else and make them slaves on the island. And you could see all the years that these people had gone out and collected these little coral rocks and built these insane boundary lines that stretch all through this tangle of bushes. You have to look very hard to see them, even though they're six or eight feet high in some places, to mark the boundary of somebody's property. And then they built their houses out of these same things, laying these stones. He's surround women's bite, but 10 miles from women's bite is a, is a little uh, village probably called at one time the Sound of the Rocks, but now simply referred to as Rock Sound. And in Rock Sound, down a little street that runs beside the only filling station in town, a street of homes built mainly by the people who live in them, a street uh, peopled with uh, children that are not so much black as they are a deep, deep blue, like the waters that settle deep on the reefs of Eleuthera. 
speaking a language that sounds totally foreign until you listen carefully to it. That's English. It's so interesting, all the things that have happened to English in, uh, in parts of Louisiana, in parts of uh, Arkansas, in Maine, so forth. It's all English. Actually, I didn't. I thought it was a foreign language until one of the Bahamians said, no, it's English. They have to slow it down for you. <laughs> and I listened more carefully, and it was. And here are these children playing. You go down this little street, and you come to a place that everybody calls the bakery because it's the only bakery. And it's one of the finest bakeries in the world. And in a little display room about... Oh, about, I'd say, 5 by 11, something like that. Behind the counter stands Nellie the baker. And behind Nellie, there is a sign taped to the wall. It reads, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. <laughs> I said, I sure like that sign. She said, I sure do too. I said, I don't suppose you'd want to sell it. Nope. <laughs> There's a sort of smile. You know. I knew what prayer meant to her and she knew what prayer meant to me. She wasn't going to sell that sign. Prayer has no ramifications. Prayer is a very controversial word. A misused word. It's a sweetness of the mind. It's a song of the heart. It is a recognition that all that we say here in this little church is a possibility. That's all it is. It can take the form of words or a chant or of breathing or of works and good deeds. Or it can take the form of meditation and quiet walks in an arroyo and sitting and looking to snowfall. But it is a listening. It is not some sort of manufactured product. Prayer is already within you. You are already praying. Your heart is actually praying at this very moment. It is singing at this very moment. It is talking to you. Children, most children come into the world hearing the voice of God. And this fades because the people around them do not appreciate what happens when they respond to that voice. And so gradually they, they stop listening to it. And it doesn't have to be in words. But the song continues. Went to Safeway last night. What did we need? I forget what we needed. Uh, oh, I know. I had, um, we have to buy the snacks for John's school. This is snack. Uh, our snack Monday is snack day, and so I had to buy the snacks. John was with me. We we're going to pick up a pizza afterwards. This is Gail's fault. She has cravings. <laughs> <laughs> So I was pushing my cart up and down the aisle. 
And uh, there was a very dignified woman there. And evidently, I didn't get my cart out of her way quickly enough. <laughs> uh, and uh, she played bumper cars. I thought she was, I thought it was an accident. <laughs> and I smiled at her as I tried to get out of her way, but I didn't get out in time. Uh, she didn't smile back. <laughs> so uh, that was incident number one. Incident number two was went up to the checkout counters and only the eight item express was open. There, there was no one else. Well, as a matter of fact, there was another checker. I went over to the other checker and seeing me approach, he left his cash register and put the chain across the bank. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> what does this mean about us? <laughs> All right. So I went over to the, uh, the eight item lady and I said, uh, there are no other checkers open. She said, I'll take you. And uh, so I put my card up. Now, there were two adolescents there checking out. I think they had the proper number of items. I can't remember. No, they didn't. They had a great big uh, basket, too. So no longer was I safely in place, and he, she was almost finished with the adolescent. Reason I identify them with as adolescents, you'll see in just a moment. Um, she was just about ready to take me when another woman came and opened the cash register right beside her. This was not this was unlimited items, and she said, "I'll take you." And so I turned my cart and knocked over the uh, butane display, <laughs> and about a hundred of those little. Butane things went all over everywhere. So they thought this was very funny, the, the two cash register people, and said, don't worry about it, we'll pick it up. And I said, oh, no, no. I mean, what a minister has got to pick up the butane lines. All right. So there I was, groveling. Can, can you, do you remember when you were a teenager? This is why I mentioned it. Can you think of any more wonderful, satisfying experience than standing as some middle-aged, red-faced uh, minister uh, gropes around at your feet for butane lighters. And, uh, I mean, not only did they not reach down and help me, they didn't even move their feet. Can you imagine, do you remember how wonderful that would have been? And then, after that, this wasn't enough, they then went over to the video games, which on the north side of Safeway are right there by the entrance. And uh, they were out there, so I couldn't even get out of the store uh, because they were playing the video games. Well, seeing as I forget what else happened, I think there were some other things, but the lady at the cash register said, has it been that kind of day? <laughs> And I thought a moment, and I, and I looked back over the day, and it had been that kind of day. Now, the difference is, and this was extremely encouraging to me, because the difference is, this time, I didn't get mad. I didn't get mad at being bumped. There was a flash of very red-hot anger with the adolescents, but it lasted... <laughs> 
<laughs> it lasted for about three seconds. I recognized where it was coming from. It's very interesting. It was like, ah, that's coming from my ego. This is not going to lead me anywhere. What am I supposed to do? What is it? Am I supposed to give them a lecture? You see? Uh, and I didn't, I, uh, it was like, oh, I see where that's coming from. And I just kept on picking him up and I wasn't angry. This is, I'm, this doesn't mean a great deal to you, I'm sure. But this, this is what, if, if a spiritual path in the beginning has some meaning, it is this kind of encouragement that we begin to see these little miracles where we could have gotten angry and we didn't. Not, now, this is not we could have gotten angry and we refused to act it out. This is not I got angry, but I didn't act out. That, of course, is a good thing because it, it'll save you a lot of problems to not act it out. It always creates a whole nother situation when you act it out and now you've got double the amount of trouble. So it's a good thing not to act it out. But the miracle is when you could have gotten angry and you would have gotten angry, but this time you didn't have any interest in getting angry. It was of no interest to you. That is a miracle. That is encouraging. Now, your ego will tell you not to focus on that. It will tell you to focus on several... I can tell you what I could have focused on. I could have focused on the fact that I was a little preoccupied. I was not staying in the... Pre if I were in the present, I wouldn't have knocked over the butane things. But I was... It, there was all this swirl now going on in my head about checkout lines and should I move the line and go to another line and so forth. And that's why I knocked it over. I wasn't in the present. I didn't see it. I could have dwelled on that and gotten mad at myself and said, why, why am I so absent-minded? My ego would like to have had me do that. Suggested several times to me that I dwell on that. I could have dwelled on the little flash of anger short-lived as it was with the uh, adolescents. Now, we make a lot of mistakes. We make hundreds of them. And we become increasingly aware of these as we go along. And your ego will want you to dwell on this. And do you know what a person on a spiritual path does when they see they've made a mistake? They simply begin again. That's all they do. They begin again. It's so simple. You don't have to analyze what you did or try to figure out how many times you've done it. You just start over. Right there, on the spot. You will feel the resistance of your ego, which if you haven't come to this church uh, very much, I'm simply using as uh, that part of our mind which is always scared, scared of everything. This voice for doubt within us, this crazy part of us, which we ask for, this imaginary identity, this shabby self-image. And being on a spiritual path is simply you turn away from that voice to this song. This prayer that you can't be too busy to pray. This walk on water that does not disturb the adolescence. That does not disturb the lady that rams your cart. 
And But when you do pick up the conch or take in the dogs or do a hundred other things that go on every day, you simply begin again. You say, ah, oh, I made a mistake. And you start over. Everything that we do in this world has ramifications. Another word for the spiritual path is comfort. It's a beautiful word. To be comfortable with your house. To be comfortable with your car. To be comfortable with your friends. To be comfortable with your walk from one store to another. To be comfortable with what you have in the refrigerator. And what you're having for breakfast. To be comfortable with this unexpected phone call. Or this person who dropped in. Or this thing that, that they were out of. It's a lovely, lovely word. But the ego will give you a thousand exceptions. Yes, but I'm in the middle of a crisis. Yes, my husband just left me. Yes, my wife just died. Yes, but, yes, but. And of course, you do not speak of comfort to someone who's in the middle of a situation like that because they're not capable of being comfortable at the moment. They're very much caught up in this, and so would we be. Perhaps to someone in that circumstance, you simply suggest a way that they can practice being in the present a little more. Because by being in the present, you cut the tie to your imaginary identity. We operate from the past. It is As you go along, you will see that 99.9% .9 of everything you do during the day comes from your past comes from what happened to you as a child. And all the experiences that you had, you're not looking at anything. You begin to realize this. You're not seeing anybody. It's all a symbol for other things. And this is not recognized because we thought we repudiated the past. But there it is. It pops up again. This crazy reaction. And how are we going to undo that? It's a hopeless task, isn't it? When you begin to see how thoroughly controlled you are by your particular past, you will say, this is impossible. There's no way I can untangle all this. I'm reacting this way to Christmas. I'm reacting this way to the way so-and-so looks. I'm reacting this way to a stressful situation and so forth and everything. I can't even go to the bathroom without it being something from my past. <laughs> so by practicing the present, we cut the connection with all of it, at once. To stay in the present. To simply be at rest. As best you can, because you will not do this perfectly. But to just very gently bring your mind back to the present. And relax. And say it doesn't matter. It's just a little life. How many times have I gone through this? Just a little life. little soap opera. This is just the body I got. so forth. 
It'll be over very quickly. It's not important. But in the present is Christ. In the present is yourself. Is God. It is completely airtight. Moment tight. There is no connection between the present and what you think you are. This little identity or this little name and this, these talents that somehow have to be developed at all costs. No connection. It cannot enter. Your imaginary identity, all the things that control you, cannot touch you in the present. There is only God in the present. Now, as you practice the present, notice that you get scared immediately. Something's being left undone. The world's going to get me. I better think about this. What about this other thing? On, on, on. Your ego does not understand the present. It thinks the present is the sum of all foolishness. Nothing is more foolish or vacuous or meaningless to your ego than the present. It does not understand why you would want to rest your mind on this instant and to relax and to be comfortable and to not have a care in the world. Why would you want to do that? It's frightening to your ego. But do not worry about that. Let your ego be frightened. There's nothing you have to do. Don't turn and try to get your ego to stop being frightened. Just recognize that your ego is frightened by this exercise of being here and now. And you will begin to see the past drop away. You will literally stop being yourself. All the things that compose your idea, all those little reactions, these, these ways of being, these ways of solving problems, all these tastes and judgments will begin to fall away. It will be very, very encouraging. And I know many of you have experienced a lot of this already. Be encouraged by it. Do not be afraid to acknowledge this time I didn't get angry. This time I saw that it didn't matter. This time I said, I think I'd rather be happy than right. I believe that's all that Jesus was saying. I believe that Jesus had a very simple, simple, simple message. It was obviously misunderstood at the time he said it, and it's obviously still misunderstood. And it's confusing. Because on the one hand, he says, sell all that you have. Give all that you have to the poor. Come and follow me. Give it all up. Come and follow me. On the other hand, he says, all these things will be added unto you. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And on and on. So we have two themes running through the Bible. One is give it all up. And the other one is a 
abundance. And oftentimes it seems to be talking about physical abundance. You're going to get more land. You'll have more sons. You'll be the uh, head of this tribe that will develop. You'll have uh, psychic powers. You'll whatever it is. This is very confusing. And so you have people talking on the one hand about a spiritual path will give you everything that you ever wanted, everything your ego ever wanted. And then you have other people at this time, they're not quite as prominent that this, this is, these things sort of shift like this. And they say, sacrifice it all, withdraw from the world, and so forth. And this is not to be deplored, and it's not to be judged, and I don't mention this so that anyone will try to figure out who these people are, or criticize them, or bring them up in a conversation with another person, because it doesn't matter. We're all making mistakes. And some of us are in a position to see some mistakes, and some of us are in a position to see other mistakes. But his message was so simple. He saw it so, so clearly. Give up everything, but sacrifice nothing. Now it makes sense. Give up everything, but sacrifice nothing. Now the ego will want you to give up everything as a sacrifice. If it's a sacrifice, you're not ready to give it up yet. You're going to think about it. You're going to dwell on it. It's going to be a war. You won't be kind in that state of mind. You won't be gentle with other people if you think. Have you noticed the kind of mood that people get in when they give up cigarettes? Or they give up uh, alcohol, or they give up Coke, or cola. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You see, uh, you, can you? This isn't prayer. This isn't the song of the heart. Give up everything, but sacrifice nothing. That was the first part of the message. And the second one was simply love. Just love. Love everybody as if you were that other person. Love everyone as if everyone were a child of God. Because it's all true. So how do we walk on water? How do we leave the world undisturbed? How do we pass through our life, this little life, like a gentle breeze and make progress? And become happier and learn how to be happy by listening to the voice of gentleness and kindness. How do we do that? Here are a few things. Be good at heart. You have a sense of what that means, to be good at heart, to be kind. Be good at heart. We all know how to be good at heart, but that doesn't call for any particular behavior. It's an attitude. If you're in the present, you'll see how to be good at heart. Do not attack even in jest. And a lot of people on a spiritual path will give up overt attacks, but they still attack as a form of humor. Do not attack even in jest. 
Do not bring up what cannot be done now. So there you are, you're in, uh, you know, you're lying in bed, and, uh, dear, yes, did you get the antifreeze? No, no, I did, it's two in the morning, see. No, did you realize it's going to be 40 below tonight? Now, we do this in little ways, we bring up things, we... Give everything and demand nothing is the rule to a happy relationship. Do not ask anything whatsoever of your partner. You take responsibility for every single solitary thing. Now, if there's something you cannot take responsibility for and you just can't handle it, then, of course, you can sit down and talk to your partner about this and ask for help. But if you can see, it doesn't matter whether you spend all of your life cleaning out toilets and washing dishes and running errands and uh, sweeping the floor and everything else. Or you spend all of your time uh, earning the living. Or you spend all of your time raising the child. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It doesn't make any difference what we do. It makes a difference with what we do it. Do we do it with gentleness and kindness and with prayer, with a song in our heart? Do as much as you can and ask as little as you possibly can from another human being. Serve your friends. Wake up in the morning and say, I am a servant, and then list the people in your life. I am a servant to so-and-so's happiness and peace. That's the only thing God has asked me to do today is to do everything I can to make so-and-so peaceful and happy. And remember, this doesn't call for any action. Because if I were to say that about your house, if I were to say, you are a servant to your house, you're a servant to your car, possibly you would be tempted to think you're supposed to do something to your house or to your car. And we had the same mistaken view about our friends. We're supposed to do something to them. To make them happy. Have any, has anyone ever called you up and told you. This is a relationship you've had for years. And suddenly they call up and they say. Gosh. I just want you to know how much I love you. And uh, I just love you so much. And on and on. Have you, has anyone ever had a phone call like that? And you're so tense. You don't know what to do. You're scared to death. You don't know what. You're, you're scared first of all. Because you know. That at this level that we're all on, it's not going to last. <laughs> and secondly, you don't know if they've just had been converted to something. <laughs> and you don't know what you're supposed to say. And you thought, gosh, what am I supposed to say back? Well, gosh, I sure love you too. And you know, <laughs> so forth. It's okay to tell people you love them. But let it come from your comfort. Don't make a decision that this is love. It is not love to hug someone, although you can love some you can hug someone out of love and peace. But to make a decision you're going to go around hugging everybody is not going to make people peaceful. Do not question or confound do not question or confound. This is another way we attack people. We question them. 
it's a form of attack. Do not contrast yourself with someone else. Don't paint a picture, a verbal picture, that says I'm different than someone else. Do not be issue-oriented. There can be no love if an issue is more important than the feelings of another person. Do not take sides against a brother or a sister. Do not take sides in a conversation or any other time. Have you noticed how no one wants to watch an athletic event once they know who won? Begin with little forgivenesses. Never begin with the big thing you haven't forgiven. You're not going to do it. Begin with the little things that you can forgive. And there are a hundred of them. They constitute the path. There are these little shining pebbles that you can walk on this day. It's, they're like jewels, these little forgivenesses. The little forgivenesses. That's what will start your heart singing. Start where you can with forgiveness. Don't take on the great big thing that someone did to you 20 years ago. If you will practice the present, that will release you from it. It will begin to at least. If you won't judge other people, you won't feel judged. If ever you're feeling judged, or you're conscious about your appearance, or you're conscious about your vocabulary, or you're conscious about your age, or you're conscious about your height, or you're conscious about your occupation, or your sex, or your race, or anything else, if ever you are self-conscious about that, it means you are judging the people around you. And if you will stop judging the people around you, you will not feel judged. Irritation will not increase your chances for happiness. <laughs> Don't worry. Be happy. That's all there is to it. Because if you lose peace with your brother I'm using this in a Christian sense with each other if you lose peace with the people around you if you lose your peace with your brother you lose everything you have lost it all you are not on a spiritual path at that moment Regain your peace with your brother, but do not ask anything of your brother. Do not ask the person you are living with for gratitude or acknowledgement or anything else. Give the gift, but do not tell the person what they're supposed to do with it. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? That was going around and around in my mind for the past two weeks. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? 
and we have all these gardens, all these people. Isn't it obvious as you look at your friends that the friends they have around them would bloom with the least a bit of, bit of attention? Isn't it obvious what treasures we have around us and if we would just be a servant to the people around us, how they would bloom without trying to change them without trying to bring about some gut-level conversation or something, they would begin to bloom. And even a house would begin to bloom if we were servant to the house in the right way. If we didn't think that meant we had to change it. A Course in Miracles says, you will see God if you look at a table correctly. Because that's all that's out there. Well, I don't know where to end this. Um, sure glad to be back. Sure glad that all of you came on a snowy day like this. We had a little shuttle jack out there. Uh, Carol Scullin was trying to sh uh, chauffeur people up and down the hill. And uh, no one would get in the car. And so finally... <laughs> Finally, she ordered someone into the car. Well, as I was coming home from the pizza place, <laughs> driving there with John, and John said, Daddy, I'm happy. And I said, John, I'm happy too. And I realized that a few years back, I, my first response would have been, why are you happy? <laughs> we don't need a reason to be happy, but just the recognition. We're all going to get there. We're all walking together. And we need each and every one of us. So today, be encouraged. Encourage yourself. You've come a long, long way. Thanks a lot. <laughs>